0: Welcome to the New Testament Review,
1: where every episode we discuss an influential work of New Testament scholarship.
0: I'm Laura Robinson.
1: I'm Ian Mills. And today we're discussing An Amusing Agraphon by Paul Coleman Norton. This was published in 1950 in Catholic Biblical Quarterly. Laura, what's this article about?
0: Well, this article is about an agraphon. It is about a saying of Jesus and reports the first publication of a saying of Jesus that does not exist in the written gospel record.
1: So the category of agrapha is one that's always bothered me. It literally means unwritten thing, but literally all of the agrapha are written or we wouldn't know about them. (laughs) What people really mean by this is any saying attributed to Jesus in some sort of ancient text, by whatever your definition for that happens to be, that is not found in the Gospels, canonical or non-canonical.
0: So the saying that it's better to give than to receive, for example, is a saying of Jesus's that's recorded in the book of Acts, not in the Gospels.
1: There's also sayings that are known among the early church fathers that, that don't show up in any Gospels. One really popular one was, Be ye good money changers. Tons of church fathers quote this, Uh, but it's not found in any gospel or attributed to any gospel.
0: Another example of this is what we call an interpolation. These are stories that get added to the text after the fact, right? Specifically, sayings of Jesus that get added to gospels once they have been in circulation. Good examples of this would be the Pericope Adulterae from John. Most of you have probably read that. It's probably in your Bibles at home. And there's another example called the Cambridge Pericope, which you can look up yourself.
1: So this is why this is such a terrible category, is we're talking about things that church fathers know. We're talking about variant readings in manuscripts, and we're apparently talking about other quotations in other kinds of texts
0: yeah and you'll literally notice everything we just named is written yeah (laughs) the reason we know the phrase it's better to give than to receive isn't because people have been reciting this saying in small communities to each other for two thousand years it's because (laughs) it's written in the book of acts
1: so coleman norton is going to be introducing to us a new agraphon which had never been published before but first who was paul coleman norton
0: Paul Coleman Norton was actually a classics professor. He worked at Princeton. He was one of the teachers of Bruce Metzger. And he was also, this is particularly relevant for this story, he was also a World War II veteran. He specifically fought in Morocco during World War II in Operation Torch.
1: Norton opens this article by telling the story of how he discovered the Zagraphon. He was stationed in Morocco and he visited a local mosque where they had a cabinet of books that he describes generously as a library these were mostly arabic works and in one of those arabic works he found a single page of greek text and this greek text was the only surviving piece of a famous commentary on matthew um, there's a commentary called the opus imperfectum which survives in latin and was for a long time attributed to john Chrysostom. we don't actually know the author of this text but this was one page from that work and in this greek page there was a passage not found in the corresponding Latin. And this is a well-known phenomenon. Rufinus's Latin translations of origin famously exclude stuff that seems potentially heterodox that might have gotten origin in trouble. Rufinus's Latin translations clean up origins Greek in theological terms. So here we see a potential example of a Latin translation that has excluded a, non-canonical bit of Jesus tradition.
0: Matthew is particularly well known for his descriptions of eschatological torment, Gehenna, hell, and he uses this phrase often in his text where he says that in in this place there will be the outer darkness, this is the exclusion, the outer darkness, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The place that this interpolation occurs is at the end of Matthew 24, right after Matthew 24 verse 51. This is from the parable of the faithful and wise servant that comes at the end of Matthew's eschatological discourse. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is a long time away, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master will come home on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: The hitherto unknown Greek page of the Opus Perfectum continues... And behold, a certain one of his disciples standing by said unto him, Rabbi, which translated means master, how can these things be if they are toothless? And Jesus answered and said, O you of little faith, trouble yourself not. If it happens that they are lacking any teeth, teeth will be provided.
0: We are in an era of New Testament scholarship where some texts that purport to have the sayings of Jesus in them are being newly discovered. Nakamani was discovered shortly before this article was released, for uh, for instance. This is a uh, library of Gnostic texts, some of which have sayings of Jesus in it. Um, this is also uh, an early stage of Gospel of Thomas scholarship. That feels changed a lot. Uh, and also, form criticism is not in its heyday, per se, but it's still around. The idea that we could find authentic historical sayings of Jesus out there still was still very much a live idea in the academy. Things are not really like this now.
1: Exactly. So when Coleman Norton wants to argue that this is a valuable text, of course, the argument is that it may reflect something about the historical Jesus.
0: Yeah, that this is something Jesus actually said. Yeah.
1: Right. Now, modern scholarship approaches these kinds of texts very differently. For one thing, most scholars don't think about Jesus traditions the way that form critics did. They don't imagine independently circulating units of Jesus tradition that are being preserved orally in villages of Christians. They think more about creative authors. Secondly, there's a much greater appreciation for what Jesus traditions can tell us about early Christian interpreters of Jesus rather than the historical Jesus himself. So we look to the Cambridge Pericope, the Pericope Adulterii, Um, the Freer Logion, these extra canonical sayings of Jesus more often now for what do they reflect about the Christian tradition. But since we're reading Coleman Norton, since we're treating his article, Mm -hmm. let's give him a fair shake. Why does Coleman Norton think it's at least possible that this is historical?
0: One of the big reasons he flags up is the idea that Jesus was historically funny. He talks about some examples from the New Testament where Jesus is reported using puns or jokes or absurd images that would be in character with this so one of the examples he gives for instance is the eye of the needle saying that it is yep. easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven this fits with the idea of sort of a comical jocular jesus
1: he also points to the pun in peter's name he calls him rocky or the idea of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel it's true jesus it seems could tell a joke
0: Yeah. And one thing he also points to is the fact that this is a bit of a dopey question, right? So if we were to suppose that somebody actually did ask Jesus the question, what happens if you're toothless? Then, you know, this might be an ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer moment.
1: Modern interpreters looking at this agraphon might instead wonder if this is some reflection on the bodily resurrection. Is this some attempt to put on Jesus's lips a clearly literal description of physical bodily resurrection the sort of bodily resurrection which uh if we're in the second century maybe we have gnostic type christians rejecting or moving later there is a controversy over the nature of the bodily resurrection among you know people like origen uh and clement Yeah. Questions about what exactly will be raised unto punishment.
0: Yeah, so it, it's possible that this is, is this has been interpolated for some kind of theological reason. The idea that this is a reaffirmation of the resurrection of the body, particularly for the punished, particularly for those who uh, go to hell.
1: Now, we should note there were some complications when Coleman Norton tried to publish this. He first submitted the article to the Harvard Theological Review, where the editor, Arthur Nock refused to publish the work without photographs. Norton tells us that he inquired after the manuscript to get it photographed by local people, but the library at the mosque seems to have been sold to some British collector, which was a common enough occurrence at the time.
0: This meant that the editor of HTR went to Bruce Metzger, who was a student of Coleman Norton, and asked for more information, basically trying to ascertain the origins of this manuscript and where it came from. And this might be a good time to remember that the New Testament Review has a long and storied history of celebrating April Fool's Day. It's true. Ian, happy April Fool's Day. It's good to celebrate another one of these with you.
1: (laughs) Now, the important thing to note is this is a totally real article. Yes. Published in a premier journal of biblical studies. So unlike previous episodes, we're not taking (laughs) this one down. This is a genuine piece of New Testament scholarship.
0: This is a real thing. You can find it right now, yeah.
1: When Nock went to Bruce Metzger, Metzger recalled hearing Norton tell this joke before World War II. That is, before Norton supposedly discovered it in North Africa.
0: Norton does say in the article, that he has heard this joke before and he kind of explains this away with a bit of a hand-wavy cliche that the, uh, of oh, the shows is the history and the present and the presence of history. And, um, but... It does seem like you can't photograph this manuscript. The paper was lost between World War II and the time of publication. Uh, No one has seen this since. And also, Metzger remembers him telling this joke before World War II. It really does not seem like there is any possibility that Norton actually did find that he actually found this interpolation in a manuscript and if you read this article this is the craziest article i have ever read so much of it is narrative for one thing and there are all these bananas asides particularly in the footnotes where he explains of how did he find this manuscript It's like well the manuscript was at a library and we weren't allowed in there because there was a skirmish between the allied soldiers in the Moroccans who lived there. And it turned out, if you heard a Moroccan, you had to pay $18. So it's a, what are you talking about? This <laughs> is the craziest, most meandering thing. But this yep. is this is the tone of the article. It's not, it doesn't read like a normal scholarly article.
1: If you read this article as a prank on the academy, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, there's an extended defense of Jesus being humorous, for instance, Jesus liked to play jokes or tell jokes. And there's this one discussion in the article of this apex legomena, this word that only appears in this Greek fragment that appears nowhere else in Greek literature. And it's something like thrice toothed or three toothed. Mm-hmm. That is in the commentary, someone remarks that this will be the, the person's, the damned person's third set of teeth. And Carlson, Stephen Carlson, in his book, The Gospel Hoax, notes that Coleman Norton draws particular attention to the fact that throughout the entire fragment, the dentals, which are letters that are like T, D, and Th, um, the dentals are consistently omitted in groups of three. So there's an embedded joke in the textual reconstruction. Yeah, which three teeth missing. hilarious
0: and uh you're also and then part of the effect is you're losing the sounds that you could say with, with if you exactly. didn't have teeth which seems like a little bit of like all i want for christmas is my two front teeth you know that kind yep. of a thing it you're, feels a little
1: you're bit missing like that kind of you're joke. missing dentals in sets of three particularly the letters you can't say without teeth
0: all this is to say this manuscript it's almost certainly not real The article about it is, this is one of the weird examples of a modern hoax of somebody trying to pass off a fake manuscript, or at least a fake remembered manuscript in this case, as real. And there's a question here of why did he do it? One thing I am very struck by is the fact that Coleman Norton did not stand to gain financially from this. There are a few famous examples uh, recently In the uh, academy of some malfeasance and uh, bad behavior that did result in tremendous financial gain. um, Or at least resulted in possible career gain. But when Coleman Norton wrote this, he was tenured at Princeton and he didn't make any money from it. So it doesn't seem like his motives were very practical or material.
1: And it's not really advancing any particular ideological agenda, so far as I can tell. It's not not a pious
0: fraud. Exactly.
1: It seems rather to just be a prank on the Academy. Um, A classicist takes one of his favorite jokes and gives it to Jesus, and then writes a hilarious and absurd article about it. Uh, that manages to get published in the premier journal for New Testament studies.
0: And, and the, the footnotes of this really do have to be seen to be believed. There it's is true. a lot of wild stuff hiding in the margins, and if you can get your hands on a copy, I highly recommend it. <laughs> but...
1: Well, happy April Fools, Laura.
0: Happy April Fool's. This is uh, a bit of a variation on our normal historical theme for April Fool's, but I'm glad we got to talk (laughs) about uh, maybe not one of our famous pranks, but at least somebody else's.
1: Indeed. We should have more New Testament Review content coming to you on a semi-regular basis going forward. Um, But it's good to be back together with you, Laura.
0: It is. missed having the show, and uh, it's great to talk to you.
1: Talk to you soon. Yeah, so the, the category of Agrapha is one that's always aggravated me. That was awful.